The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. It's it, it drives me it drives me bonkers. Okay, I usually don't record on a on a Saturday, so maybe that's what it is, Lace. I usually record <laughs> during the week. <laughs> Anyways, I would like to start this podcast out like doing you so you don't jump off the podcast because you think I'm like in this horrible mood. But everyone, I would like to introduce you to Lace Flowers. Um, Lace, you are a coach, correct? Tell me a little bit about your background and what you do. Yes, I am a coach. I'm a freedom from self-sabotage coach. Oh, um, then I need you right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can talk about that. I'll be happy to help. We've all been put here for a reason, and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. So I need to tell you about a story about what happened to me this week. Um... There, I, t- I think I briefly have talked about my biggest pet peeve is, in life is when people, like if you open a door for somebody and they don't say thank you when you open the door, and I'm notorious for saying you're welcome because it drives me insane. I don't like people that are not self-aware of others. It dri- It's like, it drives me bonkers. I hate to start this podcast out hot, but I have to tell you this story. So... I go in to the gas station the other day to pull my car in and there's this lady. It's a very small gas station. So cars had piled in like behind me. They were trying to pull into this gas station and this lady was putting air in her tires and she would not move her car up. Like, so I was just sitting there for like a good five minutes trying 
to get my car into the parking lot of the gas station. This lady finally, like after five minutes, sees me out of the side of her eye. There's a line of cars. She finally gets up, gets in her car and does not move. At that point, I wanted to lose my marbles because I was just like, I wanted to honk my horn so badly, but I was like, Jesus, take the wheel. Do not let me do anything I'm going to regret later. I then see her get in the car and I try to take my car and pull it around the pump. And it, I crashed into a, like a, like a concrete orange pole trying to get to the pump of the gas station. In that same day, by the way, this was just like one of those days from hell. I had, I had this homeless guy come out of a liquor store when I was walking my dogs and he threw a Coca-Cola bottle like several feet near my head. And it like, it didn't hit me, but it was like, oh my God, like it was very, very scary. But this was all in the same day. That's my point. Anyways, I pull my car around the pole. I completely did like thousands and thousands of dollars of damage to my car. I then was like, I lost it. And I'm going to be honest. I've openly talked about my Irish temper on this podcast. Um, I rolled down my window and I, and I went off. I'm not going to lie, everyone. I went off on this woman and I was like, I'm not going to say the expletives I use, but I was just like this. I said something like, because of you, I was so mad because of you being not self-aware of others. When I was being honked at to pull up into this parking lot, I just crashed my car. She just looked at me and rolled her eyes. So I guess the point of my story today started coming in hot, I think for a second week in a row or a third week in a row, um, is be self-aware, be self-aware and, and also aware of others in your surrounding. Like we are not just on this planet by ourselves. Like be kind, like move your dumb car up lady. I mean, I don't know what else to say. And I usually try to start light, but I'm just, I think I'm in like in like a little weird period of like anger right now, but I had to start the podcast out that way. My poor guest, Lace Flowers. Hi, Lace. It's so nice to meet you. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. It's great to meet you also. Um, I'm sorry that I'm bringing that um kind of negative story to start the podcast, but I just want to know, like, do you feel the same way about people? Like, it's really hard to understand how people roll the way that they do. Does that make sense? Like little things in a day, like it could be as easy as just like holding a door open for somebody and just like not saying thank you. It just drives me bonkers. Do you feel the same way that I do? Or is it just me? No, I totally get it. And I do, especially here in Mexico, like people don't like to, like the sidewalks are really small and they like to walk in lines. So <laughs> it's really hard to get past people. And it's like, single file, man, single file, let us pass. But they just don't, don't move. Because it's like, also yeah. like, we're we're all like, just trying to get somewhere, right? It's like, we're constantly in lines in life. And we're constantly like, another thing I, ta- I think I might've even talked about on the podcast is when you're getting on an airplane and people are so rude and they're like, they won't let you get in the line to get on the airplane. And it's like, we're going into like this tube and we're going to be on it for hours. And you're going to be sitting here ingesting like stinky air and people taking their shoes off and like gross smelling food. Why are we racing to get on the airplane and being rude to each other? 
and everyone's got to get on it anyway. It's it it drives me it drives me bonkers. Okay, I usually don't record on a on a Saturday, so maybe that's what it is, Lace. I usually record <laughs> during the week. <laughs> Anyways, I would like to start this podcast out like doing it so you don't jump off the podcast because you think I'm like in this horrible mood. But everyone, I would like to introduce you to Lace Flowers. Um, Lace, you are a coach, correct? Tell me a little bit about your background and what you do. Yes, I am a coach. I'm a freedom from self-sabotage coach. Oh, um, then I need you right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can talk about that. I'll be happy to help. Okay, but go my ahead. My background is actually in mental health and like forensic science, like sciences. That's what I did at college. That's what I did at university. Um, and the reason I actually went into mental health was because I lost someone very close to me to suicide. And after I sort of made my way through that, I thought, you know, I want to help people who were in similar situations to hopefully avoid, you know, these sorts of things happen in the future. You know, I wanted to make a difference. Um, but actually, I realized that nursing wasn't actually for me. Um, the things that I was seeing going on in hospitals didn't sit right with me. And it sort of went against my moral code. So I ended up leaving and subsequently fell into coaching after having a near fatal car accident, which is quite quite a crazy story. Okay, that, well let's, let's talk about let's get into your story. You're obviously telling my listeners and myself that you live live in Mexico. If I am correct, mm-hmm. that is not you do not have a Hispanic um accent. Am I right? No, no. <laughs> I'm from the UK. I was born in London. Um and I came here seven months ago. Tell yeah, tell me a little. Tell me before we get into the story. Um, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about growing up and where you're from, and a little bit about you. Okay, well, I was born in London. Um, to my mother, single mother, and I grew up on a council estate. Um, I'm not sure if you know what council estates are, but they're essentially just a small community of like high rise buildings. And they're sort of seen, you know, for people that are poor who are probably going nowhere in life and they don't have a good rep. But I had the most wonderful childhood growing up there. Um, my grandma looked after me a lot because my mum was always working. Um, and I had lots of friends and we had loads of fun. It was a wonderful place to grow up. It really, really was. I think the only thing that was a bit crap is that my mum got into a relationship with a chap when I was about four who was an alcoholic. And to this day, he still is. And his children were not very pleasant, and one of them was quite abusive towards me. Um, so that 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 was hard to deal with at sort of eight until fifteen. Um, but other than that, my childhood was great. I had a lot of fun. I travelled a lot. I went to a lot of different countries: um, Jamaica, Barbados, um, Germany, Spain. All with my grandmother. She took me everywhere. So we had a lot of fun. When you say abusive, like physically abusive? Yeah, sometimes. I remember a particular time I went to his house because they lived with their mother. And um, he wanted me to perform a sexual act with his friend, which I didn't want to do. So he choked me out until I blacked out. Oh, my God. I am so sorry. It's so, it's like, it's just yeah, it's, it's, it's awful. So you were, were you able to tell someone or? No, 
I didn't tell anyone about the things that he would do to me until I was 18. And was that out of fear? What was that? What, what was the reason? No, that? funnily enough, because of the, I think was my sort of abusive background, especially with him, because it was also sexual stuff that would go on. Um, I think you end up attracting that sort of stuff as you grow up because that's what your subconscious imprint is. So as I grew up and became a teenager, I would attract abusive partners. And I attracted one particular very abusive partner who um, would beat me up. He would rape me. He was really, really nasty. And eventually I found the strength to leave him. I met him when I was about 15 or 16. And I think we split up when I was about 17, 17 or 18. And then he decided he was going to come back and stalk me. So he used to come and stand outside my flat and just look up at the window for hours, hours and hours and hours, just stare up at the window, knocking on the door. Obviously, I wouldn't let him in. And the police got involved and it got really quite nasty. And I had to go and give a statement about what had gone on in the relationship, what was going on now, because I couldn't even get myself to college. I was terrified of going outside and I was terrified of being at home. It was not a nice existence. Um, and that's when everything else came out. As I was giving this statement, I my mum was there and everything just sort of came flying out. It was like, you know, verbal diarrhea. I just couldn't stop. Yeah. And that's the first time she knew about what was happening from when I was eight. Lace, I am so sorry. Um, you know, I, I, there's so, there's so, you never know what goes on in people's lives. And that's part of why I do this. I love that you, um, you're a survivor and, and that you have turned your life into helping others and going into the, the field of mental health, um, and coaching. I think it's so important, um, you know, you hear these stories all the time and it's like, you, you don't even, I mean, for me, I, I grew up ha uh, surrounded by mental abuse, which is very different, but it's like, I know the pain of holding in secrets, you know, and not yeah. talking about things, um, in a different way. Um, but I just, it, it makes me so sad and I am so very sorry to hear that. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like, once you, you met your boyfriend, um, yes. your, yes. the boyfriend that yes, you I loved. Can. So let's kind of go into that story. Well, this was in high school. Um, he was probably one of two very nice men that I met when I was a teenager. Um, we were, I was 15, I think, and he was 14. So I was on study leave and he was in the year below me and I always had a thing for him and eventually we got together and it was lovely. Lots of people like took the mick out of me because, you know, you're in school, and you're like, your boyfriend's in the year below you and all this sort of nonsense. But we didn't care. We just got on with it, hung out all the time, went to each other's houses. Um, but unfortunately, his mother did not like me like at all. Um, I'm not sure why she just didn't. Maybe it's because, you know, it was her baby boy and this other woman had now come into, you know, her son's life and was taking her boy away. I don't know. But, um, you know, we had a lovely relationship, but every time he would come to my house, he'd go home and his mum would beat him. So <laughs> eventually he said, you know what? I can't take this. He said, you know, I can't come and see you because mum's like, you know, she's hurt. You know, she's beating me up, essentially, you know, giving him a good beating every time he comes and hangs out with me. So he split up with me and I was absolutely devastated. 
like so devastated because you know we weren't doing anything wrong we had a really nice loving relationship um but what he said to me because I was in my last year of school as I said when I was going to college he said you know when I grow up I'm going to come back for you you know when she can't tell me what to do in my life I'm going to come back for you and at the time I just thought right okay and that was it <laughs> you know I went to college he finished school he went off to college moved away we didn't speak to each other after that that was it um four years later I had my daughter she was eight months old at the time and I was living in Northamptonshire so you know a few hours away from where we went to school and my friend called and said hey guess who's looking for you and what's your phone number and I was like I don't know surprise me and she said it's Alex Alex is you know he's come back to London and he wants your phone number and I was like what <laughs> I was like okay give it to him you know it's no problem so he called and it was like nothing had changed in that four years we chatted for like I think we must have been on phone for about six hours for one conversation and we just chatted chatted and chatted and chatted and he said you know I really want to see you can we meet up so I said okay I'm, I'll come to London and I'll come and meet you so I went, took my daughter, you know, we went out, we had coffee. I don't drink coffee anymore, but uh, we had coffee, we caught up and it was, it was just so beautiful. It was like nothing had changed. And he said, you know, I promised you I was going to come back for you and I'm back. You know, I'm 19 now. Um, my mum can't tell me anything. Um, so I want to be with you. I want to marry you. And I was like, oh my God, it's like, wow. You know, it was like something out of a fairy tale. So I was in London just for three days. And we met up every day. And the third day, he was supposed to come to my mum's house and meet me in the morning. But the night before, I had this really, like, I can't describe it. It was the most awful feeling in my stomach. I didn't know what it was. I, didn't, I wasn't sick. It was just this horrible gut feeling that something terrible was going to happen. And it was something to do with him. So it must have been about three o'clock in the morning. I phoned him and I said, hey, like, are you all right? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing you in the morning. You know, I'll see you around 10 o'clock, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mm, something just doesn't sit right in my stomach. And he said, no, 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 everything's fine. You know, I love you. I'll see you in the morning. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll see you in the morning. Um, I woke up the next day and I remember looking at the clock and it was about three minutes to 10. And I thought, something's not right. Not only is he not here, so he's late, um, but something just doesn't feel right. I felt really sick, like really sick in my stomach. So I left it for a little while and then I phoned his phone. No answer. Text him. No answer. Phoned his sister and she said, oh, you know, he went out this morning for a walk, but he's left his bus pass, his keys, his phone, everything is still here. And I thought, well, that's really unusual. Like, who goes out without all this stuff? And she said, you know, when he comes back, I'll call you. No phone calls. So I decided maybe I should go out to like, you know, his area and check parks. And, you know, maybe, you know, he was feeling down or something and had gone out and just sat on a bench somewhere. Called some friends and asked them to go out and have a look in the local area too. N no one can find him. I can't find him. So I'm supposed to go home this day. So I'm getting ready to go home. I'm in the car going up the M1 on the motorway and my phone rings. Um, and his sister says to me, a body of a black male has been found at Norfolk Park train station. And I just knew it was him. She didn't even know it was him at that time, but I knew it was him. 
and it was confirmed a few hours later that it was him and that he had jumped off the bridge onto the train line and he died. I am so sorry. Did Was there any, like, he, so you didn't have any warning. Like, you knew he was suffering with depression, I'm assuming. Was his mom involved? Was there something, like, that set him off? You had no sign whatsoever. Nothing. Not a clue. This guy was happy. He was smiling. There was just nothing. And and you had only just been back Absolutely together, nothing. right? You just were back together for a short three, period. Not of- even three days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Did you ever find out, like, any rate? Did he leave a note? Was there any anything he said? Not that I know of. No. Later on, it came to light that he was suffering with depression, like his family told me that, but I didn't know. Um, And that he'd had a really hard time after moving away to Birmingham and he was really sporty. So he's playing lots of football and I think there was some sort of injury that stopped him from being able to do that. So that had a big impact on him, but I didn't know any of this. And this is all secondhand information I found out after. Um, So I, you know, that must have affected him to the point where I think how I sort of interpreted it is he must, he may have planned this and he came back to sort of tidy up unfinished business and say goodbye to people because I can't understand it any other way. But I had no idea. Yeah. And it's, and it, it just like must have reopened such a traumatic wound for you of the abandonment of losing him. Right. It did. It destroyed me. Absolutely destroyed me. I don't think I've ever cried so much in my life. I cried and cried and cried until I literally didn't have any tears left. I just didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. Tell me what you did next. Like, tell me like what happened in your life and kind of like what direction you went with this. Well, after that, I returned to London to go to the funeral, which was a horrible experience because his mum like tried to say, oh, you know, you're the last person that he spoke to. It must have been something to do with you and tried to blame me. And I blame myself because I felt something was wrong and I felt like I shouldn't have allowed him to talk me into, no, no, I'm fine. But there was no reason for me to disbelieve him other than the feeling that I felt. But yeah, they completely disregarded me at the funeral, pretending I didn't even exist. Um, it was really, really painful. It was the most horrible day of my life, actually, <laughs> other than finding out that, you know, he passed away. And they invited me to view his body and then just ignored me. So I didn't even get that opportunity in the end. Um, so, yeah, my life after that, you know, after going through that experience just went downhill. It really did. I became seriously depressed, very withdrawn, um, not eating anything and wanting to go the same way myself. I felt suicidal. Um, I ended up on a lot of drugs, not recreational drugs, but a lot of antidepressants. So many ridiculous, like I've tried them all and nothing helped because I was traumatized. I wasn't like sick, if you know what I mean. I was traumatized and I needed somebody to help me through my grief and what had happened, not to just, you know, drop pills down my throat and go, you'll be all right. Um, And I did attempt to take my life on two or three occasions. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's so true that in situations like this, it's like certain doctors 
might just push drugs just as a band-aid, but it's not going to get to like the, the inner wounds and like your deep wounds, which not only were your wounds of abuse and abandonment, and then the trauma of like being almost blamed by this horrible woman. She sounds horrific, the mother, you know? Um, she was a pleasant. Yeah. So, so you were kind of going through the motions and trying to grieve and dealing with all this stuff and then, and then being put on pills. And what did you do to kind of like get yourself out of it? I took a lot of pills for a long time. This was in 2009 this happened. Um, so I was on a lot of drugs, the pharmaceutical drugs and seeing psychiatrists for about a year. I went through talking therapy, which I didn't find particularly helpful at all. It just sort of just kept reopening what had happened and wasn't helping me to heal. And my biggest question was why? You know, I wanted to know why why he would do this to me. I was so angry because it was like you you promised to come back for me. You came back and then you just went away. Like that's not fair. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's that's exactly what happened, and I had to learn to live with that. So in 2010, I was in my psychiatrist's office and I remember saying to him, look, I'm ready to do something else now. You know, I'm sick of being in and out of hospitals. I don't, I'm not in a place where I want to harm myself anymore. I want to do something with my life. I said, I want to go into mental health nursing. And he said, absolutely, I'll support you to do that. You know, he wrote a note on my application to say that I was well enough to do it. I came off all of the drugs. And I went into mental health nursing. And like I said, I quickly realized that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to support people, but not in a medical setting. Mm -hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed what I was doing most of the time. Some of the things I was seeing and some of the ways that nurses were acting and doctors and and, and, um, what I call them, anesthetists, because we were still giving people ECT, electric shock therapy, which is just horrific against their will because we had them on section threes, apparently it was okay. But for me, it was not okay to do that to people. I don't want it. Um, But those sorts of things I was seeing and the attitudes I was seeing, I was like, I can't do this. I don't want to be, I don't want to end up like this. You know, I don't want to be these cold, horrible people that I'm working with um, who are apparently trying to help people. I was like, this isn't me. Um, And that's when I had the car accident, funnily enough. So it completely stopped me in my tracks. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't sure how to get out of it. And the universe pretty much said, okay, I'm going to make it stop, but it's going to hurt. So I had this accident. It was a head-on collision at about 40, 50 miles an hour, um, which wasn't my fault. It was it was a crazy situation that happened. But I broke my left femur, ended up with a fat embolism on my lung, and was in a coma for eight days. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it was a close call. I almost died. You know, they called my family and said, you know, we don't think she's going to make it. Um, but obviously I'm here because I'm telling the story. So I made it. And this time, because I'd woken up in hospitals before after taking overdoses after what happened to Alex, this time I woke up and I was so grateful to be alive. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got another chance. And that's when I decided I was going to completely turn this around. I'm going to do something amazing with my life. I'm going to take it forward. I'm going to use everything I've been through and bring that with me to do something positive. And that's when I started to look into like holistic health and how to heal things naturally and like mindset. And that's when I trained as a coach. And it's all, every all of that has brought me to today. So that's that's what I've been through since then. But 
it's been painful, but it's been totally worth it. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's, it's always interesting. Like I say, life is a series of tests and like we go through things in life and this is just what I believe. And I, and it's to me, like, why do some people have to go through so much to get kind of to the other side? You know, I mean, it's like, I know for myself, I don't think I'll ever be fully healed from stuff that I've gone through in my life. It's every day is like, I wake up and I'm like, just trying to do the best I can. I know I still have so much work to do on myself to get to where I want to be. But I do think sometimes when things happen, it's like you have to be like shook to understand like there's a reason why we're here. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe that. Like um, I was, I'm going to tell you this story. I was in this was a few years ago. I was in like one of the worst places of my life. You know, I very open with my listeners and my audience about um, being, I went through a period where I was suicidal. And I remember walking, like I was walking my dogs and I was like walking across the street and went and I almost got hit by a car. And it, was really, really scary. And it was one of the days where I was like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I, I was in that place in that mindset, right. Of just not wanting to go on. And it's very different. I wasn't in a car accident. The car didn't hit me, but it kind of was like, I don't know what it was, but it was some kind of like thing in my head where I was like, is this some kind of sign that I'm supposed to be here? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that these things happen to us because we're supposed to like certain people are supposed to be sharing our stories and 
the things that we have gone through in our lives so we can help others and pick others, other people up with what we've gone through. So for you, mm-hmm. I just find like all the things that you've been through in your life. And I'm so sorry for everything you've gone through. What was your, what was your boyfriend's name? His name was Alex. Were you able to get to have you, were you able to get to a place of like, I don't know if it's forgiveness, but just a place of peace with, with Alex and like why he did what he did. Okay. Yeah. I've accepted that. I probably never know why exactly, but he must've been hurting like so much because I've now experienced that sort of pain. Not saying it's the same, but I've been in a place where I've hurt so much that I just wanted it to stop. And that was seemed like a good idea. That seemed like a, a way to make it stop. So I get that now. But I'm also not angry with him anymore. And I'm not angry with myself. I don't blame myself. I know that I did everything I could with the information that I had. And even if I had known more or done anything differently, if someone genuinely wants to end their life, then they will. You know, there's nothing that me, you, or anybody else can do to stop them. Because if you stop them, say this time, the next time they'll succeed sort of thing, you know? So I don't blame myself or think, oh, I should have done more or anything like that. You know, he he did what he had to do for whatever reason he had. You know, that was his life path. I can't change that. Um, And I'll always love him. I'll never forget him, but I'm not angry with him anymore. Like I'm, I'm not, when I say I'm okay with it, that must sound crazy, but I'm, I've accepted it. And it takes work to get to that place, right? I mean, it's not just, yeah. and, it, and it makes sense that, you know, with everything you went through in life, you know, I don't think anybody can understand the, the, a lot of times people that take their own lives are villainized and people are like, well, I can't, you're so selfish. I can't believe you would do that. But people just that aren't, were, are not in that mind frame or have never been in that space it's it angers me and it angers all the family and the survivors that I know to know that it's mm-hmm. it's not okay to put like labels on people. It's the that that pain is nothing like people will ever understand unless they've been in those shoes. And part of Absolutely. part of why I wanted you to come on today is because it is suicide prevention month. And I am trying to share stories of um you know, survivors of, of whether it be like losing somebody to suicide or honoring people that have lost someone to suicide, um, family members, parents, siblings, whoever it be. But I, I, I always am so thankful that there's people like you in this world that are like, I'm not going to be beaten down. I'm going to pick myself up. And that's part of my message and why I do what I do. Because I always say this, I said it on the last episode, I say it almost every episode, episode, your piece of the puzzle matters, right? And there's a reason why we're all here. And there's a reason why Alex was here. And, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, he made the decision to leave. But when I hear from listeners that message me or people that are really struggling, um, for all different kinds of reasons, people struggle for all different kinds of reasons in life, in this life. And I think that 
the best thing you can do and why I do this every week is to talk about it. Because the more that we normalize talking about Alex and what you went through and being open about, you know, your struggles and being hospitalized and then turning your life around, you know what it does, Lace, is it gives other people hope that if they are in those really, really dark places right now, like I was a couple years ago, or you were, you know, several years, or I don't know how many years ago it was that you were in your darkest place, but it makes somebody go, 2009. okay, so that was a while back, but it Mm -hmm. go, it makes others go, well, if they can do it, like I maybe can do it too. Does that make sense? Yes. And talking about it's so important, you know, because it's so easy to look out onto the world, especially with like social media and think, oh, everyone's life is so perfect. And it's just not, you know, they're just handpicking the good bits. And, you know, everyone has their struggles. Everyone goes through stuff. And we should be reaching out to each other and talking to somebody about it. Because sometimes just being heard makes things so much better you don't need advice you don't need to be told what to do you just need to be heard you need to get that stuff that's in here out and then it doesn't feel so heavy anymore a hundred percent and I think too um you know I think that that people that struggle you don't and you never know like I was at a party last night I'm kind of like maybe that's why I'm in a bad mood because I'm I'm not anymore but I was when we started (laughs) because I'm so tired but sometimes when you go like you just brought up I call it my Facebook life I'm always like oh I wish I had my Facebook life because it looks so great you Mm -hmm. know I look so happy but I think in my per in my judging Megan Instagram that I have now, I really try to be real on things. And I'm like, I'm my life's not perfect. I might post pictures of myself and my kids, but like, I'm also going to post stuff about how I was really struggling and why I do all the things that I do. But it it is so true. Like just being surrounded at a party, for example. And I was like looking around and I'm like, wow, like, everybody like everybody's having fun and everyone seems so happy or somebody might give you a dirty side eye or whatever it is. And you just really never know what someone is going through. You really honestly never know. Right. So that's why I think in this climate, you know, I think people are getting better about it, but it is so important to talk about our struggles and how we got through things. Can you tell me about, um, about like what you do now and like how you help people. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. What I do now as a freedom from self-sabotage coach is um, help people understand why they behave the way that they do, where their behavior sort of comes from and how they can reprogram their behavior. So their subconscious actions are working for them rather than against them. So we go right back to childhood And we have a look at, you know, everything. We have a look at families. We have a look at siblings. We have a look at all the things that you've been through to understand how you've come to be where you are today and why particular patterns of behavior you may be noticing in your life are repeating themselves because we can take it right back to where they began. And then we start to look at how we can rewire the brain and lay down new neural pathways so you can begin to leave that old behavior behind and put in new behaviors and new beliefs so you can start to move in the direction that you truly want to go in rather than being pulled back all the time by 
old behaviors and old patterns, which is what we're wired to do. So it's all about learning how to dialogue with your subconscious mind and make it work for you rather than against you. But it's not just about childhood. We don't just look at childhood. That's a big part of it. But we look at everything from diet to lifestyle. And it's it's a holistic approach to changing your life for better health, better wealth, um, better relationships and better inner self-talk. So there's a lot of mindset stuff going on there as well. But it is transformational. How long have you been doing this? Um, I qualified in 2020 and I really started doing all this stuff probably about a year ago now. Yeah, that's when it started. And the reason it really began is because I went through the process on my own and like transformed myself, although I've been doing a lot of transformation over the years anyway. But I was in a very unhappy marriage which I began to realize is actually quite abusive. And I'm seeing those patterns again from childhood, attracting those abusive partners and abusive situations. And I decided it was time to free myself. I was financially dependent. I was completely stuck. I had nothing. No, didn't have my own money, no savings. I was literally just in a place where I could just stay where I was and nothing else. And I thought, I'm not doing this anymore. I deserve so much more. I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be free. And the only person that can give me that is me. So I decided I was going to start my online business. I was going to launch my coaching business. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to Mexico. And at that time, when I made that decision, I had nothing, no money. I didn't even have a passport. My kids didn't even have passports. They'd all expired. And my baby daughter um, didn't even have a birth certificate at that time. So when I said and like verbalized, I'm going to Mexico, and apparently I didn't like Mexican food because the Mexican food in the UK, I didn't like. So I always said, I don't like Mexican food. And I've never been to Mexico. Um, everyone just looked at me and was like, are you crazy? Like, how are you going to do that? And I was like, the how is not my business. All I need to know is what I want and then start taking steps towards it. And that's exactly what I did. And now I'm in Mexico with two of my children. I support myself. Um, so yeah, everything that I said I was going to do, I did it. And I'm no longer in that marriage. I'm no longer in that relationship at all. And I'm so happy. Wait, I'm I'm actually floored. You, you put this, like, you're like, I'm going to a country I've never been to. I am going to like pick myself up and move there. How long did it take once you said that for you to actually go? Six months. Wow. And and how and how old are your kids? Uh, my youngest is one, and my eldest is thirteen. That's unbelievable. So, what part of Mexico are you in? I'm currently in San Cristobal, which is the south of Mexico, not too far from the Guatemalan border. I love hearing stories like this. I had a guest on. Her name was Judy V, and she grew up in like just the worst of situations. And she actually, I should connect you both. She moved to Mexico too. She's moved all over the world. She got herself like her story was all over the news in Ireland. She was like beaten and living as a prisoner of her father. And then she had, it's a whole, it was a hor- horrific. And one day she looked in the mirror. Oh, wow. I think it's true. It's like the power of positive. I don't want to say the secret, even though like there are elements of the secret, I'm sure everyone or my listeners have heard and you've heard of the secret, 
But it oh, is yeah. true that like that stuff really does work. And yes, if you say something and you're like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. It's crazy to me that you did that that quickly. Yeah, it's amazing what you can manifest. Yeah, tell me about your life now. So are you happy? Are you like you're living yeah. there with your two kids? Do you like Mexican yeah, I food? <laughs> I do like Mexican food. There's nothing like what they said it was in the UK. Like chili con carne is not a thing. Like you ask for that here and people look at you like you're mad. Like, what is that? And I'm like, well, my husband likes chili con carne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so the food's amazing. Um, but no, I am happy. I have three children, though. My son is still in the UK. He did come out with me originally, um, but his dad wanted to take him back, and he wanted to go as well. So he's back in the UK, and I hope that he'll come and join me again in the not-too-distant future. So that that's quite hard. But um, no, I am really happy. I'm happy that I'm free from just being in a really horrible, abusive sort of relationship. You know, I'm just so, so much happier. I'm just so free. You know, I do what I want. I have a beautiful apartment, which I've only been in for a month, but I'm moving into a wood cabin with a um, wood burner in the mountains um, next month. And, you know, life is just beautiful. I do what I want when I want with who I want. And I have my own money to support me. And we just live a very peaceful, chilled out life. But we smile and we laugh every day and that's what's really important it's those little things you know I don't have to worry about anything you know is it clean enough are are we good enough are we behaving well enough like I don't have to worry about these things anymore yeah it sounds like just I mean there's things that you can manifest in life and and you can be free and it just hearing your story I hope is giving my listeners hope you know, that there is other uh, ways out. And, and there is like, you know, when you're in your darkest times of your life, like look at you, for example, like you picked yourself up, you moved on, you have a whole new life in Mexico, you have your kids with you, you have your own money. You know, if, if you're listening and you're in your darkest times, I always say your brightest day is ahead of you. You haven't had your best day. So if you are struggling mentally, reach out to somebody. Um, Like you pointed out earlier, cognitive therapy is not for everybody. You know, there's all different kinds of therapy. Um, um, I, myself, I've, I've touched on, was doing EMDR. I'm interested in talking to you about what you do. Um, There's all kinds of ways to heal our, our wounds, especially our wounds from childhood. Because what I believe is yes. most things stem from our childhood, whether we choose to be in relationships, whether we choose certain friendships, it's all based on patterns, which is what you had just pointed out a little while ago. So um, where it is, yeah. where can my audience or my listeners, if they want to get contact you, where can they reach out to you? I'm mostly on Facebook. So if you just send me a friend request at Lace Flowers on Facebook, you'll find me. I don't believe there's any other Lace Flowers is. Um, I love although your I name. Although I do have two profiles. Um, okay. So at Lace Flowers. Yeah, it's, you're looking for the one with the banner that says um, freedom from self-sabotage. 
Okay, well, I love that. And I love your name. It's such a cool name. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Lace, it was a real honor to meet you. I'm so grateful that we we got this, we were able to schedule you in. Um, I want to kind of close the episode by saying um, how I think it's so important that if you are struggling, um, this is Suicide Prevention Month. That's part of why I... I'm trying to have people's stories on and especially survivors so they know like it's okay to go on. Um, and, 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 and this whole month, every episode is in honor of, you know, families that have lost someone. Um, and I'm just so happy that you decided to stay. And I'm I'm so happy that I decided to stay. And if you're listening to this, the world needs your piece of the puzzle. And thank you so much for coming on. Everyone be happy by making other people happy. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.